you know, we seem to be coming a little bit off the IPA, double IPA, triple IPA craze. I mean, I'm not saying it's disappearing by any means. I'm just sort of saying it maybe isn't as at its peak, whereas in the US that still seems to very much be where they're at. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 21 September 2022. I'm Sabrina Cortens and I'm joined by Blaster Brewing, WA State Sales Manager and Vice President of the Western Australian Brewers Association, Mike Morgan. Welcome, Mike. Hey, how are we doing? Thanks for having me on. Oh, this is very exciting. <laughs> Mike, last time I think I saw you, it was actually at the Wobba Conference back in June. Yeah. Over in WA. Yeah, also known as the Super Spreader event, I believe, after that. It was... <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're um, touch wood all healthy this week, so that's good news. And um, shout out, happy birthday to Matt, who is um, off celebrating in Paris, and hopefully he'll hear this uh, maybe on his flight home. Yeah, happy birthday, mate. Hope you're having a great trip. So we'll crack into that uh, news. There's actually a lot of news this week, so hopefully we can uh, cover it all off for everyone uh, as quickly as we can. So Mighty Craft offloads non-core Spark. Mightycraft has exited its shareholding in Spark Group Holdings nine months after suggesting it was looking to offload non-core assets. As part of the transaction, Mismatch Brewing Co. will take over the Whitmore Pub, Mismatch is entering into a new seven-year lease on the property, and Mismatch products will now be brewed on site to further strengthen the brand in Adelaide. In return, Mightycraft has agreed to forgive any liability owed to it under the convertible notes in Spark, which have a total face value of $1.5 million, it told the ASX. Mighty Craft will also cancel its shareholding in Spark. Well, I mean, Mike, not um, entirely uh, based on the reporting that we've been seeing at the investor calls, not entirely um, sort of out of the blue. Yeah, I think you guys have been talking about this this movement of the offloading non-core for a good few months now, hasn't it been? Um, and I've been sort of listening and following uh, interested because uh, I think I'm on the same page of a as a few people have spoken even on the podcast around the the idea of Mighty Craft was that incubator to, to you know, consolidate different uh, parts of the business and sales and so on to grow these up-and-coming breweries and to now be divesting that and, um, and switching away has been interesting to watch. Yeah, and it's one of those things, I mean, we all know that we talk a lot about the business of beer and this is certainly a business move, but even the language non-core Sounds harsh. You know? yeah, um, yeah, I if I was, and I, sorry, I shouldn't use Spark as an example, but they happen to be the one in the article. But I, I'd, I'd, I'd feel like the, um, the the person who got left out at the dance, sort of thing. Like, what did you know? What's going on? What have I done wrong? Um, reading further in the article, I noticed they were quite positive and upbeat about the the change and very thankful to where Mighty Craft had gotten them to today. Um, but that's sort of just where I would, uh, yeah, be be thinking. And it could be, right? Like it could be, um, you you know, as with anything, there's the professional language that's put over the outside of everything, you know, the veneer, and they are ASX listed, so they do have, you know, mandatory reporting. Um, And then there's the sort of practical realities of whether this was a good decision for both those businesses. And based on what has been said externally, they both sound like it was the right move for them. Um, So, you know, Kudos to everyone for making grown-up decisions in what is a tough market. 
Yeah, and I think you said it, but this is the business of beer and, and ultimately it doesn't matter whether you're brewing beer or running beer. It, it, it is a business. We These are businesses. They just happen to make beer. Yeah. Well, speaking of something that is um, affecting brewing businesses, brewers are being urged to consult on Fazan's label colour mandates. Brewers are being urged to write to Food Standards Australia New Zealand for ZANS to support proposals to amend the pregnancy warning label colour stipulations. Brewers wishing, wishing to conform to the labelling mandates which were introduced in July 2020 with the deadline of 2023 have faced technical difficulties with printing the prescribed colour scheme of red, black and white. This drove me nuts because I was part of the people writing the submissions in New Zealand alongside colleagues in Australia, uh, both at the IBA and the Brewers Associations, about this issue. When we were consulting on this issue, you know, many years ago, um, way back from the beginning and then basically as soon as uh, it became mandatory, you had companies in New Zealand, both large and small, so I know this became a really big issue for Lion, uh, and it became a big issue for Sprig and Fern and Boneface and, um, you know, clearly the IBA members are saying that they've seen issues. But, you know, what we said would happen has happened. It's like you guys knew what you were talking about. <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. And I understand, look, as a result of the way that this consultation moved out, the mandatory nature of the colours and so on and so forth, Fazans have done a lot of work on how to change the consultation process going forward in relation to labelling issues and we're seeing uh, those those ones that we talked about last week, energy, sugar claims, etc. Those processes be quite different to the way that this one went with pregnancy labelling. But I mean, this is this is a real life issue of the decision making. And so, for those of folks who haven't read the article, it's basically then it when it prints on corrugated cardboard cartons, so out of packaging for large for many of the larger brewers in terms of sort of a twenty four pack, I guess. Yeah, and and I think the important thing here is it's the it's the message that's important, isn't it? Not the colour scheme. Um, so if we can just get it changed to the you know the the, the correct colour, so black on a corrugated you know brown cardboard or black on white or white on black, whatever it is, that's ultimately the answer. And um, the article calls for everybody to reach out to their whether it's the IBA or their local uh, association to to get it changed, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean, that's the, uh, I'm presuming the call to action here is if you are a member of the IBA or you're a member of the Brewers Guild and um, you want to get in touch with them um, and find out what you can do to throw your support behind uh, these submissions that are being made to Fazans right now. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, from a WA perspective, certainly if um, if you're a Brewers, a WA Brewers Association member, um, I'll talk to the team and see if it's something we can throw the whole of Wobba behind through the IBA, who we work quite closely with. Great idea. So, Mike, if I was a brewery and I was thinking, oh, no, I really do need to do something about these Fazan's label mandate changes uh, coming into 2023, do you think there's anyone that I might call? I reckon it could be, and um, I've I've heard about them. Can't say I've used them yet myself, but um, rallying labels, stickers, and packaging, I reckon, might have some solutions to to get through the 
the murky waters of F stands. What I love most is that I now have a Rallings label stickers and packaging voice <laughs> because I used to mock Matt for so clearly switching to his Rallings label stickers and packaging voice. So, dear listener, um, if you are <laughs> going to change your labels, um, we suggest that you call the folks at Rallings label stickers and packaging. Beer can labels are regarded these days as the new mini billboard of the beverage industry. They say a lot as an advertisement you can hold in your hand. The label is the genuine conversation starter. So to get all the specs right on your bottle or can label and to make sure it looks its best at all times, you can call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can help make your brand sing so absolutely seamless <laughs> so uh, another company that might be wanting to update some of its labels uh in the coming weeks are brick lane who have secured b corp status brick lane brewing co has become the second independent brewery with the b corp accreditation capital uh brewing also achieved b corp status announcing it earlier this month while the only other independent b corp in australia and new zealand is matakana's sawmill brewing in new zealand Four Pines and Sonam Wood also achieved the status before being acquired by Carlton and United Breweries and Lion, respectively. Brick Lane have also announced uh, the comment that they're going to be true zero, which I think will have some commentary on going forward. So, Mike, that's great news. Largest independent brewery in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Was, um, I've been largest, second largest. Second large, yeah, big. They're big. Um, definitely. Uh, big. Yeah. Um, got to. Got to, I've met actually met Paul a couple of times. We got to catch up with him at the Brewers Conference over in here in WA in middle of the year. And um, yeah, exciting to see things like this. It's the um, you know as our industry grows and matures, um, we have this social responsibility in on all sorts of fronts to you know be better than you know the way we started and the you know the years prior. So um, yeah, seeing the guys get across the line with this was great. Um, I know it's something that we uh, aspire to at Blaster. Um, and with our, we have a new production facility coming. We'll be looking at uh, applying for B certification, going through all the, the the hoops that we need. Make sure we're um yeah on track. Um, one thing I was interested in, you might know a bit more about this, Sabrina, is the um once you have it. If I was reading the article correctly, is it like a yearly uh, a yearly uh, call it um, a check in where there's certain you know, uh, parameters you have to recertification. Make. Yeah, is that a, is that how it works once you have it? Yeah, I think there is an ongoing sort of rolling um, review process, but I'm not sure. I mean, I I can't remember the last time I looked at it in detail. What I do remember is that for most of the companies, both in brewing and outside of brewing, um, you know, that I've spoken to over time, the the biggest thing that they've talked about is that the process of going through to become a B Corp was actually the most valuable learning because it got you to sort of look at your business in multiple different ways. So the certification is obviously great. That gives you something that you can say externally to people that is sort of um, fairly transparent and well understood or fairly well understood. But it's actually the sort of the methodology itself that is of the most benefit. So I would and I'm just going to have a quick scan to see if I can confirm, but I think there is. To maintain certification, B Corps must update their impact assessment every three years. Okay, every three years, that's good. Or if there's a change of control or initial public offering. Mm. So you do need to continue, I guess, making sure 
and having that assessed. Yeah. Um, and I thought the thing that was really jumped out at me that I thought was really interesting, and I know that um, Bruce News are looking at this further, but I really liked that there were some tangible things in there, reduce the ratio of water. Mm. And the numbers were really interesting too, um, uh, reading through the article. Yeah, it was really cool. It says that everyone can have a look at their ratio to water. Like whatever you're doing, you can that that is something that you can, that's a tangible number that you could pick up and then you could find something that you could do about that. So, you know, um, this isn't something that is just for large-scale breweries. It really breaks down to the types of things that, you know, any number of breweries might are touching in their daily lives, you know. Yeah, so true. And you don't like necessarily need to be B Corp certified to, to, to make those changes and work towards them. And then if it is something you aspire to, to have the that certification, then you can uh, hopefully the, there'll be less things you have to move to, to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Because, mm. you know, inertia gets you, right? Like once you're going, yeah. <laughs> you'll keep going. It's hard to sort of figure out where to start. Mm. And I like to think that with so many, uh, with uh, Brick Lane um, and the other breweries, there's we've now got the uh, the, the, the standard there and, and, and there's another group of comrades who have gone through it and can say, oh, this is how we did it or we did it, you know, so we can, as smaller brewers, we can look to them and, and seek guidance where needed and things like that, which is great. Uh, Matt just did a beer as a conversation with Johnny Day, who's the new marketing uh, head of marketing at Capital, and even he was sort of saying, you know, get in touch. We've got the resources on some of the information that we've got. So the breweries that have sort of gone before are definitely there, saying, look, we'll share what we can share. We'll give you our knowledge. So that's you know part of what we love about the the industry anyway. Yeah, that's it. That's it. They, so you know, Paul's they've done all the heavy lifting. <laughs> Absolutely. Someone that is starting small, um, and this was sort of an interesting piece by our journalist Vivian Tapalovich, Mead brand Greedy Bear launches crowdfund. Startup Mead brand Greedy Bear has begun a crowdfunding campaign in an effort to fund its commercial batches. The campaign, which was launched via crowdfunding platform Possible, started an initial goal of 25000 and a maximum goal of 35000 At the time of this podcast, the campaign has raised $33,541 with 14 days left. The base funds will go towards the first commercial batch of its original mead product before going towards experimental batches. So this was, to me, just a nice little story about, um, you know, we talk a lot about where beer and other drinks are increasingly sort of crossing over each other in terms of the market and we've seen Greedy Bear do a couple of collabs um, and this was a really good example of using crowdfunding as opposed to equity crowdfunding, you know, being really honest about this is sort of, uh, um, you, you know, it, it seems like a much more honest way of sort of saying you, you're essentially the way they described it, pre-buying stock. So there's no equity gained as a result of it. It's a much smaller dollar amount than some of the other raises we've seen. Um, but really is sort of, um, you know, people are putting their money in and saying we would buy this product. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was, um, you're right. It's a, And I think reading um, the gentleman who owns Mead or part of it, he spoke about it from a sort of like almost like a grassroots a ground swell. So they've been building and I think they do a podcast and things like that. So there's already you know, some some consumers out there that are interested in their brand and they haven't technically done anything yet. And I think it is a little bit, I like the idea of this, I think Black Ops might have 
might have used the same platform as well back in yep. their early early days and i think it's a it's a great way to create ambassadors sell the product before you've created it um it's you're not asking for five hundred thousand or a million dollars to just go put a shiny new brew house in and, and test the waters that way um yeah so yeah i thought it was really yeah i was very interested in it i think um i know for, personally for me for equity crowdfund um I, I sit on this the fence or, or the side of the fence. Sorry, that is um, I don't like it being called an investment. I think a lot of people in the same boat as that. Whereas this is um, seems a bit more grassroots. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. And and it's great to see. I mean, this will be really you know interesting. What I loved is that they're like, yeah, we want to have a venue. Like that's the model we want to go down. And I just sort of think that's such a great um, you know new interesting offering that's not out there yet. Yeah. So. I also enjoyed the little, um, so to say, the three stages of funding they'd love to get to, and each one came where it would unlock something. And I thought that was quite, yeah. quite just cool and fun. You know, whether it be a T-shirt or I think they said an ASMR video, which sounded uh, yeah. uh, interesting. So yeah, but I, I thought it was great. So the the, the person is putting their three dollars or fifty dollars on the line. They might actually, risk, you know, they'll get something, you know, as 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 it goes along, which I thought was great. Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice little story about sort of a small, really fledgling, I want to say brewing, but um, meadery. Yeah, me. Yeah, it's mead. Yeah, which is interesting as well. We've got one over here in WA, and they do a. Uh, I've tried it um, again reading the article. There's um, he realised that mead could it had modernised with carbonation and things like that. And that really yeah. blew his mind as to which direction he could take it in. And I know um, erosion metery here in WA, uh, same thing, um, carbonated, uh, hopped and things like that. And, and they're really cool, unique uh, drinks, I reckon. Yeah, and it, that's why it's sort of interesting um, for, for this audience and this landscape is it's another one of those sort of, um, look, if we can have fruit beer as a subcategory <laughs> created by CUB, I'm just reading quoting the press release nobody at me <laughs> then you know mead is another one of those products that sits pretty close yep exactly so if i was a small fledgling meadery and i was thinking about making my experimental batch of mead i might be thinking about needing good quality hoses um, and aids in producing that quality mead um, or beer and so with that i'd be getting in touch with dixon asia pacific What's great with a company like Dixon is that they stock a comprehensive range of FDA-approved non-tainting rubber and PVC hose for all brewing applications as well as couplings, clamps for a fully integrated and safe hose assembly. Visit dixonvalve.com.au to find out more. There's a link in the show notes. Um, so moving on from, you know, small fledgling, we move to BrewDog and BrewDog um, multi-venue models in the spotlight as industry grows. BrewDog announced its latest venture in Sydney last week as the Scottish behemoth expands, putting the spotlight on options for multi-venue models for Australia's breweries. BrewDog will be opening Melbourne and Brisbane Fortitude Valley sites at the end of next month and then Sydney at the end of November. Only its Murray and Fortitude Valley sites in Brisbane will be directly controlled by BrewDog, with the others operating as joint ABC venues. We've got a huge desire to expand and increase our presence and make great beer available in every place that we can, and working with ABC allows us to expedite that, so it allows us to do what we want to do, but much, much quicker. Australia's brewing industry can learn a lot from the experience of the franchise model, which BrewDog has developed, but inevitably other breweries will adopt different trajectories as they look for growth. Your mates Brewing Co have decided to expand into a neighbouring warehouse rather than establishing another venue. 
citing business strategy and sort of ease of development as the reason for doing so. So another really interesting um, sort of, I don't want to say contrast, but, um, you know, exploration of ways of doing business. Yeah, it really is. This is a big, big piece, I think, for especially the Australian industry as we watch this almost consolidation of of manufacturers and retailers. So the um, yeah, so yeah, so the AVC type pubs where you would, would go in and they might have a, a line and a CUB and one, and a couple of rotational taps, and now they're joining up with a with a brew like Brewdog and and yeah, creating so Brewdog getting more taps because they're going in with them, and then AVC getting the um. The, the craft with the line through it, um, you know, in on their taps, which is uh, what the customers want, that brew pub type experience these days. I think I've definitely, uh, I'm sure you you guys might be seeing over in Brisbane and in the East Coast as well, we're definitely seeing it over here we're similar to this, but not on the grand scale of, say, Brewdog and ABC. But um, we've got some breweries over here who are going with second sites as opposed to um, just expanding their current brew house and things like that. So um, w- Wilson's is one which, um, funny enough, has been on the uh, expressions of interest for for crowdfunding. I- I've noticed the last few weeks, and they've just announced a a, um, a second site. It's still a good few hours away from their current site in Albany, but it's in the heart of uh, Dunsborough in the southwest, very close to Margaret River. Um, a big and they've but they've gone in with a hospitality group to joint venture on that. So I think um, and there's other breweries doing. That. I think Froth is another one in WA have done similar things. Um, so I think that multi multi site but brewing on both of them is going to be uh, yeah it's going to be a massive direction change I think for our industry in a way to create taps rather than chase them and and yeah get the brand in people's hands, tell the story, and give them an experience. It's a really interesting um, you know. I think that piece about making the beer on site and it sort of, you know, it was touched on in that article, but your mates actually said, you know, one of the reasons we decided to expand next door is that um, we've realised that if we were just going to have a venue, which is what they had originally thought of, that the most expensive and complex part of their business is moving the beer. Mm. And so they were like, well, if we can expand on our current venue, we don't have to move the beer. And so having... We are seeing, as you as you've sort of pointed out, multi venue um, models, but brewing the beer on those on premises, particularly the small batch and experimental. Otherwise, you are actually just creating this additional distribution challenge. Yeah, exactly. And I think also coming back to that that consumer experience, you you know, like so, if, if Blaster were to create a second venue but not brew on that site, and we just shipped beer, you know, let's just say it was only an hour away, so it wasn't too far, but you still got to move the beer, um, the the costs involved in that, and and as a consumer, I'm sitting there going, so this is just another pub, basically, it yeah. just happens to have a, a craft brewery brand above the door as opposed to, so I think if you can have the theatre of it as well, uh, I think it just adds to that experience and. I personally, I would rather that as well. If I was, um, if I was in a, if I was in another town, I'd like to see. Oh, okay, you guys make this on site and, and so on. Yeah, I mean, I can't see this model um going away. In fact, you know, we we highlighted and have already obviously already spoken about um Little Bang, who sold to a hotel group. This is a uh, sort of joint partnership arrangement, franchise arrangement. But I think you know we are going to start to see increasing versions of um of this intersection between hotels groups who are backed by sizably more money than um, just breweries on their own. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. Mm. And I don't I don't want to find the negative in this story, but I would love to see that BrewDog and nothing against BrewDog, that, 
that sort of relationship come about with some more local, you know, up and coming, like, like the Little Bang example, if, if you know what I mean. So, you know, BrewDog is a big international brand. Um, yeah. So, and again, they do a wonderful job and I've been to at least their Brisbane site and, and the, the service and the beers and everything are amazing. Um, I just I just love to see an Australian brand attached to those sort of relationships going forward. Yeah, some local success stories mm. don't go astray. Mm. Well, speaking of someone, um, you know, related actually, sort of related, Behemoth Brewing uh, signs Ballast Point deal. Behemoth Brewing Co. has signed a brew under licence agreement with San Diego's Ballast Point Brewing, marking further expansion into the US as breweries in Australia and New Zealand look for ways to reach global markets. Ballast Point will be brewing 80,000 litres of Behemoth beer for the California beer market under the deal, with New Zealand brewer predicting these will increase substantially in the first year. The reciprocal agreement will also see Behemoth continue to brew Ballast Point beers for the New Zealand market. So why I think this is interesting, Mike, and it kind of refers to that point, which is in striking this arrangement, uh, Behemoth have gotten around that sort of how do you export beer, it's heavy, it doesn't travel well, and are ensuring that they're getting their product in the hands of consumers in, as they describe, a, a sizably larger market in the US, sort of fresh and at its peak because it's being brewed on site. Yeah, yeah, I think this is another another one of those trends I think we might see a lot more of happening. Um, reading into it, I was um, I noticed that there, there was some um, synergies that I think they're, um, uh, sorry, the, is it the general manager or the CEO of Behemoth yeah. is actually Hannah. from yeah, yeah from Portland, so I thought so. Obviously, there was the the tie in there. So because I was you know why why Ballast Point? Obviously, they've got great distribution. So um yeah, I think this is something we'll see a, a lot more of. Um, it's it, it's a much better way to do it. I mean, under license has worked for a lot of uh, international brands in in history. So um yeah I yeah I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more Australian brands as well do similar things and it's really interesting because export for beer has been one of those ones you know I, I I've worked on it sort of at an industry wide level and you know where we're exporting to and how that works and and what's being made but ultimately when we looked at it that brew under license model unlike wine um, was the best way because it doesn't because beer doesn't travel well was one of the best ways of getting that brand exposure in a new market i thought it was a really interesting observation in this article it's um from co-ceo andrew childs we feel that when we go wider we have great beers and a unique enough brand to carve out our niche in the market remembering that even a small slice in america can be quite sizable in comparison to new zealand and australia just due to population and popularity of craft beers in california so really making the point that, um, you know, particularly from New Zealand but definitely from Australia even, getting the tiniest slice of mm-hmm. um, a larger market can actually be really sizable in terms of your overall business model. Yes, yeah, very true. So in other sort of news brought over from overseas, we now come to a series of articles um from Matt reporting out of DrinkTech um, and that coverage is proudly brought to you by HPA with the support from Convoy. Um, so the first of these was um, CO2 recovery for smaller brewers excites at DrinkTech. As brewers worldwide struggle with securing CO2 supplies, one of the products generating interest in this year's DrinkTech trade show has been a carbon dioxide recovery system designed for craft brewers. Um, 
And so I thought this was really interesting. And actually, um, Mike, it's funny, it came out of or it started the conversation for me or the thread started for me actually at the Wobber conference when uh, Justin Fox from Bespoke uh, did a talk about designing a modern brew house and was actually talking about how a lot of equipment that has historically been out of reach for small breweries in terms of um, various aspects of the brewing have been out of reach are now you know, being made smaller and more affordable and a, and we're going to start to see craft, you know, or, or let's call them small to medium breweries, be able to actually get that technology in. And so this was a great example of sort of um, something that sounds like it could be the start of, you know, we talked about uh, it was small, small scale canning um, and now we're talking about dealing with the CO2 issue. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, and it's it's great. We're noticing this trend of that um, smaller scale being available, um, being tested. Uh, I can't remember if it was in that article as well. Um, it was one of the suppliers talking about how their R and D now is all about finding solutions for the for the small to medium uh, market. And um, I suppose if you if you are the big guys um, and you can sell two systems a year to either say a Lion or a CB or a monstrous uh, brewery around the world, would you rather sell one of those systems or then find a solution to sell 100 systems to small breweries as well. Um, and if yeah. we're going to future-proof our, our industry, you know, this is these are the things we need to do going forward. Well, interestingly, one of the first ones sold into Australia is in at um, Rocky Ridge in WA. Yeah, I saw that. And was it also in this article? It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing. I think Rocky Ridge, if um, things go the way it's looking, I think they might be our first B, B Corp certified potentially in WA, um, which would be really, really great too. Um but those guys, yeah, just you know, living living exactly the you know the ethos that they they started with, which is great and finding sustainable ways. Um, was it also, sorry, Sabrina, this article um, in the New Zealand market? They're on rations of CO two. I, I read. Yeah, yeah, that's the same one. So yeah. um, it was quoting uh, Brian Watson from uh, Good George slash Smart Brew, who was over there. But yeah, talking about CO two rations mm. um, out of NZ. Yeah, so I mean, and the quicker these things can come about, we don't, we definitely don't want to be in that in that situation. No. So the second article that really came out, um, Drink Tech impresses up and coming brewers after a year's postponement due to COVID. Drink Tech, the largest global beverage trade show, took place in Germany last week with many Australian brewers attending for the first time. Among attendees were Mountain Cultures. DJ McCready, Blaster Brewing Steve Russell, and Bent Spoke Brewing's Richard Watkins. And so, you know, just interesting, I think the point there was, you know, the comments from those attending from Australia was that they were looking at the equipment that they were ordering directly out of Europe uh, and they were attending, you know, to visit their suppliers um, and see what they had and it just, you know, the size and scale of this trade show was on an, on another level and what that really means in terms of the importance of being on top of these new technologies uh, like CO2, by way of an example, into the Australian market and what it means. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought the office had been quiet. Why so Steve's been over there? That's where, that's where he's, <laughs> he hasn't been. Uh, he hasn't been uh, sending me texts or anything. So yeah, no. It did it sound like the was it the was it the Crones Hall as well? It was like a full hall. Yeah. It took six weeks or something to to set up. So um, yeah, it sounds like it would be it would have been an amazing uh, uh, conference to attend. So it's uh, it's really interesting. I mean, that's why um, Bruce News decided to go just because of you know the amount of 
sort of work flow that's coming out of these big supplies into Australia and what does it mean and what is what are some of those emerging techs and so you know something else that uh, the, the third in that series of articles um, that Matt has reported on so far is Craft Lager Renaissance Driving Rediscovery of Heirloom Malts. The growth of craft lagers has increased the focus on malt varieties, especially heirloom varieties, according to German specialty maltster. And this was another sort of trend that was described as coming, you know, described at that conference uh, and what that's meant for suppliers. And so it's just a really fascinating, you and I were discussing off mic you know, this is everything old new again, again, that was at the Wobber conference, the the re-emergence of these traditional styles, but really interesting, you know, I hadn't really thought through the flow on effect in the supply chain in terms of these heirloom malts. Yeah, I, I, I got caught on that one saying in there about the, the yield on the field, as um, I think the gentleman from Wyman said, um, you know, they, they as they, they used to have these specialty malts call it and then but it was all about just yield and just every brewer wanting a base malt so that that's the way business went over years and now old is new again but um i think the exciting part about all this is the it is older styles styles that have been around forever but these malts are coming back so that means those businesses are changing some of the direction of the the malts they're they're planting we've got these uh, we've got fresh eyes on these styles too so we've got today's uh small and medium brewers who are making these styles and doing it with their twist or not not even a twist but at least just adding their local you know thought on it and things like that um we saw uh was it rocky won the pivo pills in the uh, mm. uh the perth Roll beer awards so yeah i i personally I'm, I'm really excited about this this stuff going on and i know um the brewers when i'm chatting to the, the different breweries around perth at least anyway they talking about the different malts that they're able to get and switching out some of their base malts for, for different ones uh, to, to get the best effect in the beer rather than just the cheapest effect in the beer. As I think, you know, we've um, discussed at length here that sort of change in the focus of our market, you know, I even discussed it with Josh last week, just, you know, we seem to be coming a little bit off the IPA, double IPA, triple IPA craze. I mean, I'm not saying it's disappearing by any means. I'm just sort of saying it maybe isn't as at its peak, whereas in the US that still seems to very much be where they're at. And so it is this bit of a divergence um, in the trends that we're seeing and also the cultural changes that have brought that about. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the 3.5% market driving it. And so we have seen a lot of independent small brewers really diving into lager. And so it's just, as you say, really exciting to see everybody with their own take on this. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what the, the next 12 months, two years brings uh, from from the move. Well, with that, um, we've got a brewery of the week this week brought to us by Bluestone Yeast. So from malt to yeast, Bluestone Yeast ships all over the country and uses sustainable and environmentally friendly packaging that keeps the yeast cold for up to five days. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. And as we've been doing recently, Mike, with our guests, I think you've got a brewery of the week that you've been to and want to tell us about yeah yeah i wanted to um i'll give this one a shout out to beerland brewing over here in in wa so um some of the listeners might recall beerland um is basically the overarching company for two breweries here in wa northbridge brewing co and whitford's brewing co um whitford's having to be the 
like five minute down the road local for me, based in a Westfield shopping center. So it's um mm. yeah, it's a really cool. And the guys uh, won the uh, champion beer at the Abers uh, for their yep. blueberry clouds. Yeah, so um, I, it's my local. I go in there a lot. Uh, Brandon, the brewer at Whitford's in particular, is a is a good friend. And um, funny enough, when uh, you asked if I had a, a brewery of the week, um, I, I had a beer with Brandon last week, and he just brewed and tapped a um an ESB made with bluestone yeast. I think it was the London London strain. It's called. Um, which he'd been trialling and he'd uh, put the ESB on nitro. So it was a, a old, old is new again. He'd uh, had, a, had a bit of fun with a, with an old style and um, was, yeah, so we, we enjoyed it. It was great beer. He was really impressed with the, the yeast. So shout out to um, to uh, Derek and the guys at uh, Bluestone on that. But, um, yeah, so, I, yeah, these guys are just amazing. They're always having fun and brewing different things each month. Um, they get given, you know, whilst they, they make their brew pub uh, beers, they also have a lot of guest taps in there brew pubs too and uh, support local breweries by putting and Australian breweries by putting guests on so yeah big shout out to the beer land guys cool well that's I mean that's the perfect brewery of the week <laughs> uh, looking at the time and I think we've kept it nice and tidy but just you know given in addition to your role at Blaster you are the vice president of Wobba and so you know is there anything you want to tell us about what's going on in WA at the moment I think you just had your AGM and so, um, you know, what's ha- what's happening out west? Yeah, so yeah, we just had the AGM last week. So we, um, uh, my, myself, uh, now vice president, um, Andrew Skade um, from Bevy Brewing is still the president. Um, we've got a we've got a lovely diverse um, uh, our board, call it um, uh, for Wava. Um, so we have uh, Bronte from marketing who was on some of our panels at the the conference um, from Eagle Bay. So she, she's actually been with us for a good 12 months, um, but she rejoined again. Um, Claire from Convoy Kegs is one of our committee members. And um, we gained uh, Stephen, Stephen Blaine, who's been, he's been at Creatures in the past, but uh, in, in the industry, certified Cicerone and things like that. So we, um, and comes with a really strong financial background. So um, got a yeah, lovely board. Um, we we're really happy with our results for the last 12 months um we like to do two or three things during the year and do them really well rather than having a scattergun approach so the the conference being probably the uh, the jewel in the crown for us in the in that and i think uh, this year's one was bigger and better which was fantastic i hope you you were there hopefully you can agree with that or attest to it yeah it was good it was great it was good fun and lots of really interesting talk on and what i thought was really fascinating about wa and Maybe it is a um, imparted geographical thing, but there was really people had travelled widely in the state. You know, <laughs> for, WA is massive, and people had really travelled a long way to be at that conference. And there was a really big variety of people, um, not just brewers, but you know, people from all sort of aspects of of industry. And I thought that was really interesting. I certainly know that um, having put on conferences myself, it's always a challenge. You're never quite sure who's going to show up. You're never quite sure what the right topics are given the mix of audience. And it was really good to see such a strong participation out of WA. And I think that um, that participation, that level of engagement uh, is reflected in, you know, there was there were so many attendees from um, Department of primary resources or uh, can't, DIRP. Uh, DPIRD, Department of Primary Industries, so, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, clearly strong engagement from government and having that really sort of centralised group and having something state-specific 
you know, you could see it paid off in terms of actual dollars and actual engagement from government flowing into the industry in the state. Yeah, yeah, I think we're very um, fortunate here in WA. The um, the government has been very supportive uh, in, in lots of places, um, which has been great. So they, they're definitely hearing us as as an association and, and as individual breweries. So I think they're um they're, they're hearing it. They're seeing the the stories on the ground and and you know in the the, the different uh, areas they're seeing the constituents in those and and how it affects uh, you know their local communities, which is which is fantastic. So they've been supporting us really well um, to the point that. Uh, and I, I don't, how long is a piece of string? But over the, the coming, uh, you know, twelve months, two years, they have announced we'll um, be working on a, a working group. Sorry for a, um, a craft beer strategy here in WA, which I think is uh, is exciting. So we'll, there'll be working groups, things like that. It'll be a long road, and um, yeah, looking forward to. That's one of our key focuses for for Wobber over the coming twelve months. We'll be working on that with them um, and deeper and everything to to get that created so um yeah and yeah it's, it's exciting over here um again a lot of the stories we, we've gone through today a lot of stuff going on over here in WA seeing breweries expand um unfortunately we're over here we're also victims of the um the the, the lack of expertise and trade skills um so people moving between breweries rather than you know we need to create more training and, and framework which again at Wobber, we're doing our best to work with government and the IBA. We work closely with Kylie and the team because there's no point in recreating the wheel uh, if we can all achieve the same outcome. So that's been really good as well. Yeah, it's massive. I'm just having a look now. I think we've got about 15 to 20 uh, breweries on the radar in WA at the moment. So these are breweries that are either expanding or new breweries um, uh, or people that have announced that they're planning breweries. So that's a pretty sizable number to add to the landscape already in WA. Um, but it seems that it's just sort of a hotbed for that kind of growth and innovation and, and that there is clearly still room for growth. Yeah, agreed, yeah. And I think, and again, my, my personal outlook on this, I think there's, there's, it is a saturated market, but there is room to move. And, and for me, I think the answer is regionality. So if you're yep. yeah, opening up in regional spaces. And I think part of that is, again, you're opening a business that happens to brew beer. So if you're comfortable with opening a small business, it might not ever grow to the lofty heights of being purchased or distributing your beer across the whole state. There's lots of room for, for small breweries to, to exist in our market. That was sort of the feedback even that, um, you know, Brennan Virus gave a couple of months ago mm. coming out of Feral, you know, there's still that regional room and we've been talking about that um, across the country but WA is obviously a great example of that. Mm. Yeah. So, Mike, well, that kind of wraps up another week of news and also some live reporting out of WA. So thanks for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, and Mike Morgan. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rowling's Legable Stickers and Packaging, Dixon Asia Pacific and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or leave a review on your favourite podcasting service. And we're out. Boom. <laughs>